Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Guten Morgen, Nürnberg. Sportnachrichten zuerst und wir beginnen mit dem Fußball in England, wo die amtierenden Premier League-Meister Manchester City fünf Tore gegen den FC Arsenal aus London gezielt haben. Die englische Cricket-Mannschaft hat gegen Indien mit einem Innings und 75 Runs gewonnen und in Frankreich hat sich Connor Swift die Tour de Poitou et Chiron für sich gewonnen. Der erste Etappenrennsieg in seiner Karriere. Es ist 6.44 Uhr. Hier ist John Martin und May You Never. David, this is the final episode in a long-running series of Germany-based podcasts that we've done. This is the final Never Strays Fahrrad. Arguably, it'll never come back. I mean, I don't know how well it's gone down, but um, could be the end of, a, uh, end of an era here, really. Well, we might have to era. just find a reason to come to Germany or if one of the races is going there just so we can use the jingle again. Well, a lot of effort has gone in. Vitor did that fantastic design for the thumbnail, yeah. hasn't he? And yeah. Perry did probably his best ever. Actually, it's not the best ever because the next one is pretty sublime, isn't the it? The next one's sublime. Yeah. But I mean, I think it can be used for perhaps fetting the success of German riders over the coming years. Just a little drop it in every time a German rider does something exceptional. Yeah. 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 There you go. It's not lost. Not lost. But it's been, it's been a wonderful series and long <laughs> And uh, hard work, but we've pushed through. <laughs> I've been dropping heavy hints to the organisation here and my employers that um, I would like to come back. Because uh, uh, I would, actually. That'd be, so that'd, be really, that'd be really embarrassing if they don't take you back now. Well, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I remember so. years ago, talk about, yes, exactly. Because when you really lay out your stall and make it very obvious that this would be something you'd like to do and you don't get taken up, it's humbling, isn't it? I remember, <laughs> I remember years ago, um, Daniel Freib, uh, Richard Moore and, and myself, I think it was us three, just us three, um, were invited by Google. Um, this is quite a long time ago, actually, um, to go and do a book event, sort of a Q&A about three books that we just published um, at Google's headquarters in London. And I think we were paid a, a little fee to attend. And it was basically Google, one of those firms that, you know, kind of like, in inverted commas, look after their staff and give them all sorts of little freebies and bits and pieces. So it was a little, it was a little thing for their staff who were interested in cycling to attend. And incidentally, they attended from all over the world. So it was like a you know, before everybody understood Zoom and Microsoft yeah. Teams, it blew our minds that we were in a room where we were hooked up with people in Hong Kong and, and Seattle nice. and all this sort of thing who were asking us mm. questions. But anyway, we did, this, we did this book event and it was in their lunch break and about 20 of their staff sort of came down from their offices to attend and then Google headquarters in London in person. And um, at the back of the room that, they, that they'd hired for the event or using for the event, they put out a little table and they very kindly bought sort of a hundred of each of our books, <laughs> which, um, nice. which, which on their way out, the staff could help themselves to if they wanted. <laughs> and so we had to sit there as, as they, oh, no. the, our audience sort of shuffled out and watch as 
almost none of them picked up the books. <laughs> it was like, it was, you know, that phrase in English, you couldn't give it away. <laughs> oh, we, no. We couldn't give and, our books away. And the, but did any of you have their pile go down better? Well, there was that as well. I, I'm sure that was the case, but I guess I must have been on the receiving end of that one because I've blanked it out from my memory who came off yeah. worst. But yeah, you're damn right. There would have been a competitive kind of look at, you know, which yeah. pile was still very, oh, very high, almost untouched. That, that's brutal. <laughs> Maybe they were just embarrassed to take it for free. Maybe that was it. Maybe they, were going to, maybe they went straight out yeah. and bought it on Amazon or went preferably to their local bookshop and bought it. It was pretty mad, actually, that. I remember kind of going around Google's headquarters, and as I say, it was six or seven years ago at least, and and we got kind of got a little guided tour of, of some of the areas in their headquarters, and they had kind of helter-skelters and little crazy breakout rooms. They had a little kind of mocked, mocked up high street, as far as I remember, with shops, like a newsagent and a delicatessen and stuff, where everything was free for the employees. Yeah. They could just wander in and take stuff. And their canteen was kind of restaurant quality food that was in inverted commas free. You know, presumably all this stuff was in lieu of a reasonable salary. Mm. Um, and, uh, and all these that were all kind of like in their, in their mid twenties, all wandering around with iPads mm. uh, all the time, kind of online and connected. And, and after about an hour of kind of it being in their company, because they took us to lunch, I think one of us said, what, what, what do you actually do? What do any of you... <laughs> What do you do? And there was a kind of an awkward silence. And then one of them started to explain and it kind of dawned on us that all they do, actually, most of the staff there is um, ring up companies, phone them up and just sell, sell Google services, just telesales. That's surprising. No, it's actually, this is a little bit of a a controversial point. Google obviously have their big HQ in the Bay Area in San Francisco. Is that where they're big? And they have, yeah, and they have um, obviously all that service as well and restaurants and 24 hour free stuff and different things. Yet, I mean, this is about two or three years ago. um, Because I'd been to San Francisco about four years ago and I was shocked at the, the, the poverty on the streets. The, it's got, the, I think, about the most homelessness per capita in the U.S. Is that in right? San Francisco, right? And uh, and obviously the housing prices are through the roof there because of the tech industry, which doesn't help that cause. Yeah. But I don't think at that time, hopefully, since Google wasn't because they'd have a lot of excess and waste from all that restaurants and stuff, wouldn't wouldn't giving none of it away to to homeless or helping at all. Ooh. Which is yeah, which is pretty dark. I hope that's changed. Um, I mean, yeah, yeah, I hope it's changed since. I, I know one person that was trying to change it, yeah, banging his head against the wall. But we'll um, hopefully quite, somebody will inform us that they have changed that. It's quite weird the whole search engine thing, isn't it? Because with our roadbook business, we've kind of had to grapple with it a little bit yeah. because it's so central to the way people find your product nowadays. Oh, and it's not it's not straightforward, is it? It's not like no, the the algorithm is deeply complex and quite corrupt. Really? Yeah, it's just it's just made to make money, isn't it? It's advertising. Yeah. The way you advertise in magazines, you have to pay for the size of your advert and where it was in the magazine. Now yeah. it's the same in search. You basically bid to to be further up the search on keywords and stuff. And it's yeah, so organic's kind of dead. People don't find it. It's very hard for people to find you just by looking for a great book because Google just owns the search and will put whoever's decided to pay the most to say theirs is a great book. And there's all these mad things like. Um some companies, a lot of companies have pages on their website that are not there to be actually read, but they mm. just contain an incoherent string of keywords. 
Hmm. So yeah. that's, you know, if you're looking for cycling apparel and you put in bib shorts, quality, da-da-da-da, sustainable, da-da-da-da, um, you know, it, it, would, it, would, it would then register that, that it hmm. would guide people to your website. But it's not actually, yeah. kind of, so it's like a hidden code within your, oh, mate. But you have to pay Google to make sure you're moved up the ranking on those keywords. Yeah. So even if you put them all in, you then still have to pay Google to, to recognize it. And you put a cap on how much you're willing to spend on it. It's basically auctioning off the value of those words. It's very clever, but it's, um, yeah, it's gone from being, well, it is still the best search algorithm, but they just, it's, it's amazing how they've monetized it to such a degree. It's fantastic, really, but it's rather inconvenient when you're trying to run a business. Yeah. <laughs> you're into the old days. Just put a poster up on the side. Exactly. A billboard. A billboard. <laughs> um, hey, <laughs> David. Listener interactivity, you up for a bit of that? I I am very much up for that. Um, You know, yesterday we floated the the prospect, the theory that there must be at least one in the world uh, a listener who fits in the the, the Venn diagram subset of people who live in New Zealand, people who watch the world feed of the Deutschland tour, and people who listen to Never Strays Far. And we hypothesised that there would be one in the world Mm -hmm. who fitted that description. There is. Amazing. James Kinsella has just tweeted me to say, I'm a Kiwi living, world feed watching, never strays far listener. Boom. Wow. I will, of course, buy a Kinder Egg to thank uh, at the Yenzi uh, for his contribution. My daughter, Izzy, who is two, wants Cav to win. A shout out to her would be amazing. Shout out to Izzy then. I hope that uh, for your sake, if uh, for nothing else, that Cav wins the final stage of the Deutschland Tour, which is today. Um, also, David, Paul Sinton Hewitt. Yeah? Name ring mm, a bell? Yes, the park, park, park run. run guy. Nice. Yep. Good, good old Paul. He is on, I think uh, this morning he's starting off on day four of, um, with a couple of mates, uh, and I don't know what calls it's for, but if you look it up, I'm sure you can find, uh, riding Le Jog. I think he got as far as Worcester yesterday. So, There's quite um, a few people doing that, I know, I think. Do you know what? Huh. Didn't you say you were going to do it soon? Is that right? I, no, I said a year ago, my sister and I were considering it, but it was one of our grand plans that we've Oh, very, fizzled out very quickly. Well, if you do it, I wouldn't mind coming along. I just suddenly oh, okay. got, I suddenly go. got really jealous. I suddenly thought I'd like to, I'd actually really like to be doing that. It'd be pretty cool. Kind of 160Ks a day, six or seven hours in the saddle, tootling yeah. along. Be all right, wouldn't it? It could be good if you, yeah. If Why you, not? If you like that kind of thing. Um, How long does it take? Yeah. Uh, Eight days? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. nine normally, isn't it? If you're kind of a, okay, if you're not particularly fast or, you know, yeah. I think it's Very nine. Good. I don't know anything yeah. about it. To I'm going to think about that. Um, and uh, what else was it? I can't remember um, what else. Oh, yes. We, oh, we had a really, um, a really nice email sent from, to us from a... I saw that from Tom Owen. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, that that one as well. Who's Tom Owen? Tom I Owen. I feel like I should um, know Tom Owen. He does. He does. Uh, he's got his own media um, business. He's a journalist, freelance, but he's also got his own... Um, Sort of PR company. He's oh, great, Tom. Yeah, I, yes, yeah. I think I do know. Who to, anyway, yeah. he sent us a really nice email. That was very nice. Um, we also got sent a um, a, a really lovely um, voice message by a gentleman called uh, an American gentleman called Jonathan Bayer, uh, who lives in Germany and has been um, listening to our podcast output for years and following. Uh, I think both of our broadcasting careers and your racing career. And um, anyway, sent us this uh, this lovely message. Hello, Ned and David. A quick thank you from a rainy Ryland Falls Vanderveg run this morning as I listened to Never Series Far. I really appreciate your treatment of cyclists who were sent to Buchenwald 
very difficult topic to address, and yet you did it with great sensitivity and respect, I think, for those individuals to be seen as writers and individuals and not just some of the six million. I myself am Jewish living in Germany and find that sometimes complicated as I spend my time here and yet always am delighted by these wonderful stories of individuals who were part of the fabric of the past for whom the country still can remember. Thanks so much as you strayed in this instance and in others. And as always, really appreciate your efforts in keeping the podcast going, especially Never Strays Farad, which incidentally, I sent Ned a little Instagram message some months ago with that idea. And I'm so glad it took root uh, through other means. So all the best. Ciao. Well, that was some, that was very nice of him to say mm. those things. And it is kind of, you know, uh, uh, you don't want to, d- when, you're in, when you're grappling with these kind of things, you don't want to dwell on it too much, but it, you don't want to gloss over it and just kind of let it skate. And for that, I mean, for that reason, we're in, um, I'm in, not we are, you're at home in Girona, but I've arrived at the final destination of the Deutschland tour overnight. I'm in Nuremberg. And of course, yeah. uh, Nuremberg in the kingdom of well, what you say in English, it's a really strange thing, you know. In English, this part of Bavaria translates as Franconia. But Franconia. I've never heard anyone use the, the word Franconia. Hmm. Um, but it is the kingdom of the Frankish tribe, right? So it's um, in German, it's Franken. Um, so I think we can call it the kingdom of the Franks instead. Very um, good. The capital, of, the capital of the kingdom of the Franks. But Nuremberg, you know, in the 20th century, obviously associated with with the Nuremberg trials in which um, a small number of those culpable for the atrocities of the Holocaust were brought to trial and uh, in some cases convicted and executed uh, for their part in the Holocaust. Um, if you're interested in in that kind of fascinating bit of incredibly important 20th century history that kind of defined uh, the course forward in lots of ways uh, for the world we live in now, really, when you think about it. Um, a couple of recommendations. One is the BBC at the moment have a podcast series of a dramatization of the Nuremberg trials. I think it's just called Nuremberg. Mm. Many, many episodes long. It's quite a work of art, but it's um, it's really worth listening to. And the other recommendation I have, David, is uh, four years ago, there was a book written um, uh, by a brilliant writer, Philip Sands, who's a trained lawyer called East West Street. Um, and this is nonfiction. It's an account of uh, the lives of two lawyers, uh, Hersch Lauterpacht and Raphael Lemkin, who were born within three years of one another and studied in um, the same Eastern European city, uh, which is normally called Lviv or Lvov, but has also been called Lemberg because it has changed um from being part of Polish territory to part of Ukrainian territory. It was occupied by the Germans. Um, so it's one of those uh, s- Central European kind of towns that has had historically a big Jewish population, a um, very highly educated Jewish population that has changed hands with each occupying force that has, you know, it's kind of got one that's very convoluted. But these two lawyers in question went on even though they didn't know one another and they were working totally separately, had different lives that were obviously both affected by the Holocaust, survived the Holocaust, and both went on in their different ways. They were both lawyers 
to um, create and define and to scope out in the aftermath of the Second World War, the legal concept of genocide. Hmm. And I can't remember which of them it was, but um, one of them actually invented the word genocide, which hadn't existed uh, hmm. before before then. And there's some controversy about whether or not the word is fit for purpose. So, hmm. so it's a fascinating book. I mean, their lives themselves, but also the work that they did, um, both of whom were, were, they were engaged in the Nuremberg trials. What was the book called? East West Street. East West Street. Very good. Yeah. It's very good. Okay. It's really good. Yeah. Um, but today, it hosts the final stage. Nuremberg hosts the final stage of the Deutschland tour, David. Yes. And um, what's happened? The state what happened play? yesterday? I would yeah. love to know the state of play. Well, yesterday, I thought would be a nailed-on bunch sprint. But actually, the finishing circuit yesterday had sufficient lumps and bumps for, um, for a group of seven riders to tear themselves off the front, including, and this is sort of within the final 10 kilometres, including Niels Pollitt and Dylan Toons. Mm-hmm. Uh, two of the strongest riders in the world and uh, they went clear and then Pollitt just rode away from Dylan Turns on a descent and as the road flattened out to the line within the last 3k he was uncatchable and just powered away uh, to take uh, to take the win by 11 seconds uh, took the time bonuses and now leads the race um, by 8 seconds to Pascal Ackerman who is his teammate from Border Hansgrohe so huh. Um, unless something bad happens to Pollitt today, I think he's going to win the race, except for if it's a bunch sprint today, which it probably should be, probably, um, there's every chance that Pascal Ackerman might win the bunch sprint, in which case he'd take a 10 second time bonus and he'd Ooh. deny Niels Pollitt, his teammate, the overall victory. So, um, Well, it's not the what, worst situation for Bora Hansgrohe, is it? It's not That's the worst. Nice. I mean, one way or the other, they've got this uh, race under control. But a little, a little detail of yesterday was that there was a, there was a sprint Pretty mm. full-on committed sprint for third place because turns hung on to finish second, and then the, then the bunch came over the line. Um, it was won by Andre Greipel, who looked really good actually. First time mm. we've really seen him open his legs and sprint. Um, but it was the first time on this race as well that we saw Cav do anything. And you know we know him well enough, and I'm sure you do, listeners as well. You know he doesn't really sprint for third place, does he? He's not kind no. of bothered. He did have a little nudge yesterday, and even though you could tell from the helicopter shot, he was only half interested. So hmm. he was kind of following the wheels of the sprinters, really, and just kind of never really got out of the saddle and started sprinting. But he looked really good. A little warm I mean, up he tomorrow. Comfortable. Today. They were all absolutely on the limit, and he was just doodly doo hanging around. Yeah, that's interesting. So he might just have been testing his legs for today. So I think so. I, I think I think so. It's the first time we've seen him, really. So um, yeah. he's got. A, I think he's got a chance today if it all stays together. Be that's one to watch. Well, let's hope for the New Zealanders. Yeah, and Izzy, she'd like that, wouldn't she? Yeah, she'd be very happy yeah. with that. Very yeah. good. Um, yeah, that's that's else? me. That's me, really. That's that's the news from Joe. Oh, except to say, yesterday. I was joined in commentary, not by Yenzi, but by um, a man who I haven't seen for 10 years, I don't think at least, um, Marcel Wust. Oh, Marcel Wust, he's around. I haven't Marcel seen him the same in a decade or so. Yeah. So, t- I mean, tell the listeners who, who Marcel Wust is, because some, some people will know the name and others, they might not know exactly who he is. So this is late 1990s, early 2000s, the generation of Chipo and Zabel McEwen. And half Marcel a generation was, before you, right? Yeah, just I was just crossing over. Um, and Marcel Voust was, uh, he wasn't up there. He wasn't a world famous sprinter. And when he was, a, he just suddenly started to kick in in the late 1990s, early 2000s and started to win stages at the tour. It was Marcel Voust that won into in that bunch sprint in the climbers jersey 
I think that was when he came on the scene in maybe the 2000 Tour de France. Exactly. And, right. yep. But he had a, a fairly, he's a lovely guy because he speaks, he spent a lot of time in Australia. So he speaks English with a sort of Australian accent. And uh, he was very Anglophone. He was, cause at that time, I think you mentioned a couple of days ago, the German racing scene and the world tour was that kind of very hardcore German, sort of East, East German, didn't really speak English. They were, they were just a, your, your archetypal German pro cyclist. And Marcel Wust sort of represented much like what the majority of German cyclists are today. In a way, he was almost the first of that new wave, although he was one of the older guys. And I think he did, he was very Aussie. I think he spent every winter in the, Australia. Spent a yeah, long time in right. Mallorca. Yeah, yeah. And, um, but yeah, lovely guy and kind of had a relatively short time at the top of the sport and then had a big crash, didn't he? And then I think it was a crash that then he never really came back from. And then he just disappeared as quickly as he came on the scene. Um, yeah. So, really, um, yeah. yeah, he was, he was a kind of flat track bunch sprinter, wasn't he, Marcel? Mm. And, and I, I, I think you've described him really well. Marcel was from West Germany. <clears throat> he wasn't from the East German cycling factory. You know, he was a uh, he was born and bred in Cologne, much like Niels Pollitt. Actually, in fact, he knows Niels Pollitt's dad. He used to race with Niels Pollitt's oh, dad right. very yeah. well, so he knows Niels extremely yeah. well. And was getting very excited yesterday. Um, Marcel won uh, stages of all three Grand Tours, um, but predominantly the Vuelta. He won twelve mm. stages at the Vuelta. He won a stage at the Giro, and you're at, you're spot on. He won a stage of the Tour de France, which was his crowning achievement. Um, but within weeks of winning that stage in two thousand. Um, competing, I think, also in France somewhere uh, for an intermediate sprint. He crashed into another rider and went flying off his bike at kind of well in excess of 60 kilometers an hour. And in 2000, I guess he would have been wearing a helmet, wouldn't he? But I don't know if he did very often. It was still that time when it wasn't 100% of the time. Yeah. I don't know whether he was wearing a helmet. It's neither here nor there. What, what happened was that he... He, he went head first into, I mean, I was thinking about this, you know, sitting alongside him yesterday, I was thinking about his, his injuries because it wasn't dissimilar. In fact, it's incredibly similar to what happened to Fabio Jakobsen. Mm. It was, Facial yeah. injuries. Um, he basically, it was the, it's believed to be that the foot of a crash barrier at the side of the road was what did the damage. And um, he lost an eye. Uh, his his right eye uh, was taken out, so he's, he's lost the sight in his right eye, and he's had a bit of facial reconstruction on the on the right side mm. of his face as well. So, um, se- incredibly serious injuries, life threatening. Um, but he mm. came he came through that, but his racing career was over. He did try. Uh, I mean, because obviously he did he came back. He was still physically able, but obviously without one eye in the peloton. Yeah. It's yeah. just you just can't do it. You need that peripheral vision, especially when you're a sprinter. Yeah, and it was just. Yeah, he very quickly realised it wasn't just, it was actually not just not good for him, it wasn't good for the riders around him because yeah. he couldn't see enough. So it was a it was a sad way for him to finish because he had just found the, the kind of top of the sport and then just as quickly was gone. Exactly, and, uh, yeah. But, he, like, but as you say, then, because he, I think he was multilingual, I think he spoke Spanish perfectly as well. He speaks, um, he speaks perfect French. Perfect French, possibly Italian. Yeah. So he's one of those guys that was just, um, he could move on, I think. And I think he went to, to Australia and then lived in Mallorca. I think he did go and live in Australia for a while yeah. and then Mallorca. Yeah, I think, yeah. He run, I think he still runs some cycling kind of coaching uh, uh, situations in Mallorca for pre- predominantly sort of German public. Mm. Um, he worked as well. This is quite interesting in the context of German cycling. He worked as a, as a, as a consultant. It basically means a pundit, mm. doesn't it? Um, like you. Uh, like me. For... Uh, for um, German TV, 
in the kind of mid noughties. Um, and that's when, that's where I, he and I, our paths first crossed because he regularly used to, um, he used to work for us in a kind of informal basis in the early mm. years of my involvement with ITV. I was constantly, this was when Jan Ulrich was failing to beat Lance Armstrong <laughs> year in, year out. And um, we needed a kind of like really articulate English speaking German to talk about Jan. And so Marcel was, I was constantly talking to Marcel about um, Jan Ulrich. And uh, so I, I knew him quite well back then, but hadn't seen him since... Um, he was dropped by, uh, by German TV just before they dropped themselves out of the Tour de France. They stopped using any, any ex-riders in the wake of, uh, you know, the, the kind of Ulrich Basso affair in 2006. And you know, let's face it, Marcel had a checkered past. He was a Festina rider. His, um, his name was mentioned in the, the famous Villefoot's book, you know, um, in association with Festina. So his um, career was not unblemished in that sense. He's very much part of that generation. And with Germany's attitude towards doping, it's pretty extreme. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it was gone. That that work, that avenue, you know, went. So it was actually really nice for Marcel to be sort of back in the commentary booth yesterday. He's re- mm. He really enjoyed it. And he's, a, as you say, he's an absolutely lovely human being. And it was it's good to see him. So that's um, that's kind of Germany done. David, there's been loads going on in, in cycling. I can't keep up at the moment. There's races everywhere at the moment. And a little hat tip, I, I mentioned it in my intro, uh, my German intro today, um, that Connor Swift uh, won the um, uh, Protoé Chérant outright. He's the first general classification mm, victory. Well done. So, I know that race well. Yeah. Yeah. It's an incredibly good season he's having. Um, I think his status within the Arkea Samsic team, he's right up there as one of their big leaders now. He took Trobro Leon this year. It's good yeah. wins. I mean, he's winning. That's no mean feat in itself. And they're good races. It's kind of he's on that trajectory where he's winning yeah. these sort of more the, the national big races. It's no reason for him to start step up. Step up. Because let's not forget at the Grand Tours at the moment, he's still at the at the disposition of um, our, our man, our Colombian man. I've forgotten his name. Nairo? Nairo. <laughs> Nairo. Nairo. Yeah, but I, I wonder whether... I wonder for how much longer. I mean, I don't know how long Nairo's contracts last. Yeah, they should cut him loose a bit. I just noticed, you know, on social media, if you follow the teams, they're increasingly inventive with the way that they announce their teams for each race, don't they? Mm. With the graphics and the little videos they do. And it's only a detail, but I've noticed often when they, Arkea Samsic announce their team for a new race, that Connor is kind of front and centre. And he's the biggest rider in the graphic and kind of everyone fans out behind him and a lot, you know. Oh, that's good. Which says something, doesn't it? I mean, it's kind of... Yeah, Status really... is uh, rising. I wonder if they might, you know, some, some <clears throat> World Tour teams might be having a look at Connor. I would be surprised if they're not. Ned. Me too. And what else? Remco, right? Remco. Yeah, he won another one on his own. Um, what was it? Brussels Cycling Classic. Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, it, but it was another one where kind of second race in a row where something weird happened, where an amazing breakaway got away in the final or in the love 50 Ks or so. And it had Tosh van der Sander, Amé de Ghent, Philippe Gilbert, Mark Hirschi, Brandon McNulty and Remco. What? And, oh yeah, it was a hitter move. <sighs> um, and so the kind of race was over and they were coming in and actually it was going through Remco's home, home village. We've spoken about this before that he's a Brussels rider, which is quite yeah. rare. Um, yeah. and so, but what happened was, was that there was a confusion at a junction with 18 kilometers to go and he got a gap. And he was totally surprised by this. And he just decided to carry on. And obviously, and it was quite interesting, actually, because I read afterwards and he said he was surprised by 
well, it happened. Obviously, he had the home road advantage, but he said that we all have the, the roots on our computers. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I didn't even know they did that now, like have the roots. Which you kind of forget that for a lot of the time, you're going to these roads and you have no idea where you're going. Yeah. So, I mean, the tech does exist now to have the map on there so you can see. But the fact that riders and perhaps Remco relies on that is, is surprising. Yeah, I didn't know that. No, I didn't know that either. So um, yeah, so he was surprised. Perhaps he's used to using it, but the other riders aren't. And um, But then he just rode away and won again. And so he put 50 seconds into Ahmed against in second place and two minutes into the Tosh van der Sander, Gilbert, Hirschi, McNulty group, as you do in 18Ks. It's... Um, and it's still he's, they've still not officially selected the Belgian world's team, so it's, they're still making a point. He's still not selected. I mean, it Maybe seems he might be in it. I he, mean, he, he might be. He might I mean, be it's in Belgium be as well. Yeah. <laughs> For God's sake, yeah, I think yeah. he'll be in it. And then, so that was that. That was good. Good old Remco. Um, and there was a, we, the British rider, the Canyon team were in that race, and a British rider I know quite well, Rory Townsend, came up with a brilliant mm. tweet. He said, um, "I just missed out on a top twenty place." in the Brussels Cycling Classic, in the non-Remco category. <laughs> <laughs> God, what must they be thinking the peloton when he's just riding away and doing stuff like that? I, mean, I think we can safely say he is now back to his best. And, uh, I mean, he's, it's also about the season that he's had and, yeah. you know, the races that he's done. He's coming into form just right for the Worlds, isn't he? <sighs> it's terrifying. Really? It's terrifying. Yeah. It's super cool. And the Vuelta, um, David. The Vuelta, I watched the final Spain. 20k. Yeah, Brilliant. it was the one at this new climb. Um, classic, it's an Extremadura, which is the sort of mid-southwest. Um, El Scorcio, empty, empty land. And the Vuelta have gone and found another steep climb, uh, like 8k's, 10k's. But there was quite a big breakaway and uh, of about, let me just have a look how big it was. Yeah, it was about 15 riders. There was 14, 15 riders. And Pickcock was in there. Pickles, that's the first first time I've kind of seen him up there in the race, mm-hmm. but it was um, Bardet who kind of who's been at the sharp end of the Volta throughout, mm. who who rode a brilliant race, and it ended up with Harada and Jay Vine who was looking brilliant as well. The three of them broke free from that group on the final climb. Jay Vine's this swift swift guy, isn't he? Yeah, 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 the Australian, and yeah. he was looking great. But Bardet just it, there was very few tactics involved. He could just ride away from them about four k's from the finish. And and one with forty four seconds behind the the GC race was kind of neutralised in the sense you had um, the Jumbo Visma were really controlling it. Movistar tried hard, but it ended up with Primoz Roglic being best of the rest. But coming in with a group of Enrique Mas, Bernal, Jack Haig, and then Adam Yates lost another twelve seconds, and your man Vlasov was up there, but not with the best, uh, sixteen seconds behind. But yeah, it was it was good. It was, but it's. It, it was falling that pattern. It kind of turned it on, and it was again what we're seeing more and more in stage races is these these big breakaway groups. It was kind of just two races every day. You have the breakaway race and the GC race, and yeah. it's um, it's fascinating. It's becoming disconcertingly disconcertingly regular because I just don't think that the big teams can or want to control it. And there's so many strong riders now who aren't in the GC race who can rip the race to pieces. So you've almost got two races permanently in GC races. You've got the GC race and you've got the the, the stage races. So it's, it's it's fascinating to see that kind of that new phenomenon happening because it always happened in the past, but it was you didn't have the riders of the caliber in those breakaways. Now you've always got excellent riders in those breakaways who in their own rights on their day can win the biggest bike races who are now dedicating their efforts at Grand Tours to, to chasing stages. Um, so it's, it's Grand Tour racing is getting harder than ever in every single category. 
just checking the results because I'm so out of touch on it. Who's in the um, Who's in the King of the Mountains jersey? Caruso. Caruso. Oh, so that's a that's an interesting little tussle potentially for the. Yeah. Um, hang on, what what was stage? Yes, what was the stage yesterday? Stage fourteen. 14. Was it? Yeah, 14. fourteen. Okay, let's just have a look. Fourteen. Oh, no, it's Bardet. Oh no, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, it's Bardet now. He took the jersey from Caruso yesterday, and because he won that stage, he's actually on fifty points, and Caruso's on thirty-one. So probably win that, won't he? Probably Runner. will win that. Yeah. So I don't actually uh, know what today's stage. I guess it's going to be another mountain day today. I think it is. Yeah. I think it is. Yeah. Oh, before we leave Spain alone, um, did you see a little video of? I think it actually came from the official Vuelta kind of social media feed of um, the aftermath of Seneschal's victory yesterday. I did, but I didn't pay enough attention to it because uh, so there's a bit of controversy. It's really interesting. So it's just kind of jump cuts through. Seneschal comes screeching to a halt and teammates, one after the other, come up. And not just teammates, but riders from other teams and congratulate him with that mm. sort of slightly lame international cycling word. Congrats, man. Congrats, man. <laughs> they all say congrats, man. Like that. But he's, you know, he's just, as we spoke about yesterday, he's just done the biggest ride of his career. And so everyone's kind of genuinely congratulating him and sort of meaning it. And then the last guy to come up behind the podium is Jakobsen, Fabio Jakobsen, whose first words that come out of his mouth are... Congrats, Mark, but if you don't look behind, you are not a lead-out. If you don't look behind, you are not a lead-out. Ooh. And then he carries on saying, and that you can't quite hear, it's a bit inaudible, but he's, he's saying to Seneschal, you weren't looking, you know, you didn't ride for me, I was there. Like that. And then he kind of right at the end, quite grudging, begrudgingly goes, but anyway, congrats. Ooh, that's a little um, so that's stamp of authority. Yeah. yeah. Didn't that's know, uh, didn't know Jakobsen that's just bringing out his uh, leader. Totally. Kind of and what's really, what's really interesting about it, I think, from a kind of, you know, psychological perspective and just looking, it's a real glimpse actually into the real world of how teams mm. operate. Yeah. You know, did he know that camera had a microphone on it? Because it's, it's pretty indiscreet, really. And what's yeah. very revealing about it is I think Seneschal is quite shocked by it. And you can yeah. see you can see him wrestling. I mean, Seneschal is a big rider. You mm. know, he's, as we were talking about, he's an important, he's not nobody, you know. And he kind of straight away, he's on the back foot. And there's obviously kind of like, he's, he's worried that he's done the wrong thing. Oh, man. Have a look at it again. It's, it's I'm amazing. Go check it clip. out. Really interesting. That, that is fast. I don't, don't, I, yeah, that's, that's because I thought there was the, do we know what happened to Jakobsen? So it's oh. it thought a mechanical or a flat, or did he just lose a wheel and then just let go? That would imply that he just, yeah, he just let got, go. Got annoyed. Kind of like, yeah, got annoyed, got angry, got the chimp. Ooh, chimp we probably out. do know, it's just that you and I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's true. When you say, do we know, it's normally no. you and I don't know, but the no, rest a, of the world, the royal all our listeners know. Yeah. 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 Oh, well, we'll get corrected. That's fine. Yeah. That's what we do. So uh, when do we pod again, David? Because this is the last of the Farad series, isn't um, it? We were supposed to do a Volta one tomorrow, but I don't think we will now, will we? I can't. No. So we won't. So we'll be, what's the next we'll have race? To do, we'll have to do another Volta one when I get back to London, because I've got... Well, during, well, we can do it during the week. Yeah, and let's then, do it during the week. Tuesday, and, Wednesday, or something like that. And then we've got um, Tour of Britain kicks off next weekend. Yeah. So that kicks off on the 4th. Yeah. It yeah, uh, so kicks off on Sunday. Which is the 5th. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So that's when we'll start again. We'll do a preview. We'll do a preview to that. So oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Maybe on the Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. When I get down to, um, I think the first finishing line is in Bodmin in Cornwall. 
and mm. then we will we will we will on the, on on the weekend we will um reveal Perry's latest uh, masterpiece musical masterpiece oh with uh, it with a contribution from a star with a contribution from a musical um, an emerging musical talent an emerging musical talent and yeah. um and we will reveal as well what the, the the title for the next pod is because that has been a journey that we've all been on but mm-hmm. we have now settled on it and it's some um, it's really good and Vito has done some great artwork as well oh, but Vito's we reveal it all at the weekend we bring out we bring out the best in our talent no Absolutely, but I've got I can't pod tomorrow, David, because I've got the most convoluted journey home. Oh. I, I'm, I've got to get home from Nuremberg. I can't fly. There's no direct flights back to London, so I'm travelling around with ASO, and they've basically said, "Well, come with us to Paris," because there's a direct flight to Paris. Oh, that's, so that's I've got to fly sucks. to fly to Paris in the morning, and then I've got to get a Eurostar home. Um, and they said, "Oh, just book your own Eurostar, and you know we'll pay you back." So the mm. only Eurostar flight I could find leaves the Gare du Nord, uh, sorry, train I could find leaves the Gare du Nord at half past eight in the evening. So oh. I basically got the day in Paris. Well, that's not so bad. Um, but I'm going to go and, um, I'm, do you know what I'm going to go and do? You know, the, mm. you know the little fragment of film that I... I oh, yes, I, yes, yeah, yes. My, my little fragment of film that I think belongs to Pathé Cinema mm-hmm. in France. I'm going to go to Pathé Cinema in Paris. Mm. And I'm going to say to them, have you dropped this? Have you lost this? <laughs> and see what they say. I'm just going to walk in. That's a great reception. idea. Yeah. And I love it. See what they say. Yeah. So that's my, that's my plans for tomorrow. Good work, Dad. I All love right. it. All right. Spe- I'll speak, speak to you, um, speak to you Tuesday or Wednesday, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do that. All, All right. right. See you. Bye. 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 Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 